all of those questions that go through a mother's mind at two o'clock in the morning of, am I producing enough? Is my body doing what it should do? And this is supposed to be natural and easy, but it isn't. So why is this not happening? And is my kid, am I not giving my kid enough? Do they need more? And all of that, we just want to eliminate, if we can just eliminate 1% of doubt, then I think we're, we're a success. Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women Podcast, where I sit down for candid conversations with women who are experts in their field and share their specific knowledge so that we can become better equipped to handle all things motherhood. Juno Women is an extension of Juna, a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. Everything we do at Juna is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Stephanie Canali, a mother of two and founder of the Lactation Lab, a breast milk test kit company whose mission is to empower mothers and optimize their children's nutrition using research-based approach to a maternal diet. We talk about common nutritional deficiencies in breast milk and what to do about it, and touch on mastitis, which is one of the top reasons women will stop breastfeeding. Stephanie is full of knowledge, and we are so lucky to have her on the podcast today. I hope you enjoy. Stephanie, I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you today. What? Why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you and your path to Lactation Lab? Great. Yes. I am a family doctor. So I grew up in Montreal, went to med school there, came to UCLA for residency. And as a family doctor, I would take care of moms and babies. And I was fortunate enough, my first six years of my career, I also did obstetrics. I did deliveries as well. So it was a real, a very special relationship you end up having with moms and babies. And I just gravitated toward maternal health. And I'm also a mom. So that kind of helped guide me in that way along. And I'm a mom who's failed at many things. Let's just (laughs) say that. And I'm sure today we'll add to the list at some point in time that I don't even know about, but (laughs) I, I really struggled with breastfeeding and it was one of the toughest things that I ever did. And I was not successful. So people always find it ironic that I started a company that tests breast milk and (laughs) um, I wasn't successful myself, but my second born was failure to thrive. So that means she was just falling off the growth chart and she was only six and a half pounds to start, would have bowel movement every 10 to 12 days. I'm assuming there's lots of moms that are listening to this so they can inherently appreciate the stress that's involved with that because by day seven, we didn't want to leave the home. And this is, of course, pre-COVID when we would actually go and do stuff. So it was just really stressful because I was, it was always, it was always tough for me because that fell back on me as to failure to thrive was the diagnosis at the time. And it's like failure at what? I produced milk. I had a ton of milk. We had an extra freezer full. So that wasn't it. So clearly wow. there was something lacking and that just the, the fact that I couldn't know and that obviously it had to do with me just really really example, like it just really made me feel terrible. And a lot of mom guilt to begin with having my kids close together. And was I really spending it? There's just so many things that go into it. And then not knowing why I wasn't successful for me was the impetus for really delving into what is in breast milk, what could be better in breast milk? Why don't we know more about this? And then, of course, I go down this path of just 
women's health issues in general, there's so much we don't know. There's so much we assume we know, and there's so much that's dismissed as it's temporary. It's just you. It's not big enough of an issue that we're going to study and, or it's going to inherently cause more stress by looking into the reasons why. And I think that all of that together just culminated in the fact that I was like, nope, I'm done. And I'm just as cheesy as it sounds. I'm on a mission to, to get the answers I wish I had to help another mother not feel as crappy as I did and at least have data to support whatever decisions, solutions, feeding choices she makes for her child and not feel as much internal guilt. Yeah, I love what you're doing. I think it is incredible, like the the guilt uh, that many women go through when they're trying to feed their baby. And it's just, I, I think back to my first, when I was pregnant with, or not, when I was trying to nurse Luca, I was just, the first two weeks was the most stressful thing I had ever experienced. And first, for like completely opposite reasons that you're describing. And again, it's just, we all go through these different experiences with breastfeeding and it's just the hardest thing in the world. <laughs> I think it's 10 times harder than having the baby, the postpartum recovery. It's, I, it's yep. And I think what I've learned over the years too, also being in practice for 14 years is that it's, there's a lot of preparation you can do for pregnancy, women that are going through infertility, unfortunately, but there's a lot of data. There's a lot of information, testing that can be done, information to be had, a sense of control. Uh And I think for me, that was one of the hardest parts was that I went into being a mom by having done close to 300 deliveries, 400 deliveries. I don't remember at this time, but dispensing all kinds of advice, thinking (laughs) I knew what I was doing. And I had a, I had an idea If anything. I thought I may have had a couple, been a couple steps ahead of, of the average mom, but in the end, it was just mind blowing to see, oh my gosh, until your baby actually arrives and it's you at home by yourself trying to figure this out. And that's where I think there's just a huge gap in just healthcare in general and, and women's health is the postpartum period because it, I think inherently a lot of people focus on baby and it's all about baby and how's your baby. And the reality is so many moms are struggling or having a tough time. And there's you know very good reasons for that. But I, I think it's time that we start addressing those with the data and information and stop pretending that these are things that only happen to some and, and stop being dismissive about these issues is basically. What yeah, I'm totally. So for people listening, why don't you describe what Lactation Lab is? So we're a breast milk testing company. We want to take the guessing out of breastfeeding. How it works right now is that we have three tiers of kits, a basic, standard, and premium kit ranging from $99 to $349, and where you can learn about the macro and micronutrient composition of your milk. And the message here is not to overly stress or think that, oh my gosh, my milk is horrible. I'm going to go and give my child formula. It's to just be informed about how your diet affects your milk. And in turn, what we've ended up doing is we actually replenish mom stores. We give very actionable, concrete advice on what to eat. And in some cases, what supplements to take. So not always. I just right. want to stress that. I'd say about <laughs> 80% of our recommendations are with diet alone. And, and then just to help moms have some very concrete data-driven evidence 
to support their choices on what foods to eat, to really help their babies be the healthiest possible. And then in turn, what ends up happening is we replenish mom's stores. So it's a two for one. We've also launched a mastitis test strip, which is the first of its kind. And our goal with that is to (laughs) really take, again, the guessing out of this. So instead of wondering, do I have mastitis? Do I not have mastitis? You call your doctor, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be prescribed antibiotics because if left untreated, right, it can go down a very scary pathway, including infection, abscess, rounds of antibiotics, in some cases, drainage of abscesses, surgical intervention. It can be an absolute nightmare. And it being one of the main reasons why women stop breastfeeding, we just, again, want to empower moms with data and information. Do they actually have an infection or is it just inflammation? Is it just a little bit of milk stasis that can be dealt with, with compresses and more frequent emptying of the breast? And do they actually really need antibiotics? And do they really need the 10 to 14 day course? The big push there is that we know that those antibiotics end up in milk. And I'm not trying to say I'm anti-antibiotic because I'm not when you need them and they're life-saving. But I think there's there's enough evidence to suggest I think they're over-prescribed and overused for these conditions with a lack of, again, evidence-based and, and information on the part of the doctor and patient to figure out like, how long do you really need to treat this? And is the infection gone? And so we really want to decrease the antibiotic residues and concentrations that we see in human milk because we know that these affect the baby. And there is some preliminary evidence to suggest that this could be a lifelong effect on them. And that's scary when you think about it, right? If a mom's taking, taking stuff she may not need, I think that a lot of us don't want to do things we don't necessarily have to do. Or right. that could just be me. Who knows? Right. No, I don't think I don't think you're alone in this. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the premier app for every stage of motherhood with a 12-week trying to conceive plan and workouts, key nutrition information for every week of pregnancy and postpartum, plus six full video courses on birth prep breastfeeding, newborn care, infant sleep, sleep from four to 12 months, and starting solids. The app is designed to be your number one companion from trying to conceive through your baby's first year of life. It also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises, pelvic floor prep, daily tips, and notes from me that are relevant to the exact things you are experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears and preventing the dreaded gestational Google mania, that sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. Juna is available for both iOS and Android. Just search Juna in the App Store or go to Juna.co. Again, that's Juna.co. The app is completely free to try for seven days, and if you decide it's not right for you, you can cancel any time within the first week. No questions asked. Download Juna today and get started. Now, back to the show. Curious, what are the implications? Like, what are we looking at? It definitely affects the gut microbiome. And we think that this can lead to gut issues later on in life. Forget about the inherent, what happens immediately. So we can see more fussiness, gassiness with babies on the more immediate. But later on, it's a little concerning to see that this can permanently alter the gut microbiome. And when I say permanently, we just don't have the studies at this point in time that look at infants through adulthood. But there's enough evidence to suggest that there is an immediate change and you can't go back and undo it. Yeah. 
Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yep. So we're trying to, I'm trying to just, again, just give moms information, give doctors information for goodness sake. And so what we're moving toward now is hopefully by the end of this year, we'll have a test strip out. So we'll replace our basic kit with a test strip. So you could do it at home and know the macronutrient composition of your milk. And then that will help then determine is my kid just not gaining weight as quickly because that's their constitution or is there something else going on? And all of those questions that go through a mother's mind at two o'clock in the morning of, am I producing enough? Is my body doing what it should do? And this is supposed to be natural and easy, but it isn't. So why is this not happening? And is my kid, am I not giving my kid enough? Do they need more? And all of that, we just want to eliminate, if we can just eliminate 1% of doubt, then I think we're, we're a success. So what are you testing for in the breast milk? Right now we test for fat, calorie, protein, carbohydrate. We can test for, so we're basically testing everything we test for is how, what is affected by maternal diet. So uh -huh. iron, calcium, vitamins, A, B12, vitamin C, DHA, and heavy metals. One thing we do not test for that we get asked a lot is vitamin D. And the reason behind that is that it's actually really expensive. That's the only reason we don't test for it. We're trying to work out a way to try to do it in a more cost-effective manner. It's just a very expensive test to do. And that the, that's probably the main reason why a lot of people get that bill from their insurance company when they have a serum vitamin D test done and nobody's paying for it anymore. It's just expensive <laughs> test to do. The heavy metals, just to touch upon that as a side note, what where that came from was... My concern about supplements, the lack of regulation and dietary foods and you know, all those cookies and shakes and all this stuff that's marketed towards nursing moms is what in, you know, is what they say that's in there actually in there and nothing more. And so there was a data set that I was privy to a few years ago that looked at over 200 supplements that were sold over the counter, specifically prenatals and postnatals, everything targeted toward a nursing or pregnant mom. And there were just a handful of them that were absolutely clean. And when I say clean, pesticide-free, plastics-free, PFAS, like you, you name it. But my bigger concern was the heavy metals. So the arsenic, lead, cadmium, and mercury. And like to think that as consumers, we're going to buy a supplement and thinking that inherently will make up for all of our shortcomings of the day of not eating a perfect diet because everyone who knows me knows I have the least perfect diet out there. <laughs> and the, the notion that taking that vitamin in my mind would just make up for that or, and I would tell my patients for so many years, take your vitamins, especially when you're pregnant. But to think that we could actually be doing more harm is very concerning to me. And I think there's some studies that are coming out now that it's not just lead and there's no safe level of lead. It's not just mercury. It's like what's happening to the cumulative effect of a little bit of arsenic, a little bit of lead, a little bit of mercury over time. That's not ideal. And although some people may say that, oh, if you eat a serving of spinach, you could be exposed to X amount of lead or arsenic, the reality is you're not going to eat spinach all day, every day for the rest of your life. Maybe some people do, but I certainly <laughs> wouldn't. And then, but the vitamins we have, I think we have rights as consumers and especially as mothers that what set, what it says on the bottle, it should, should consist of that and nothing more. 
And when I say nothing more, it shouldn't have all this extra crap in there that we don't need and it could actually cause harm. So that's really where we've moved over the last few years is a lot of our recommendations are just food-based because I'm just, I get weary about the supplements in terms of there's no regulation. So right. you can say on the label, it has X amount of this. It may not, there's no, no one enforcing that. And, but it's just the other stuff. And it's the longer the list, honestly, sometimes the scarier it is in terms of what's in there. So that's where we test for. And again, we just want to help moms make informed decisions. Do they really need those hundred dollar a month supplements? Oftentimes, no. And, and yeah, they can save that for the diaper budget. But, yeah, exactly. Now I'm curious as you test for like fat and carbohydrates. So is it like one to one? So if I have, if my, let's say I test my breast milk and you come back and you tell me this is the fat composition, this is the carb. If I eat, if I start eating more fat, does it show up as fat in my breast milk or is it no? Well, that's a really interesting question. It's not entirely, and it depends on what kind of fat. So when we first started this, we looked at every type of fat in milk and believe it or not, people weren't really interested in those results. Um, (laughs) That's, I believe that. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, there's fat is actually quite complex, right? So 98% of the fat in human milk is triglycerides and there's different types of triglycerides and there's essential fatty acids and non-essential fatty acids. One thing that we have found is that sometimes people, and it is true that there is a difference between the beginning milk and the end milk. I like to move away from talking about milk and hind milk. Um, and it makes the joke as it makes sense physiologically, right? Like your child has to eat dinner before they get dessert and the creamier milk. But the reality is that first milk contains essential fatty acids. And there's a reason um, physiologically and evolutionarily that the, the first milk is super important too. We see a lot of moms and we get questions from a lot of moms about, should I just feed the creamier, fattier milk? So fat doesn't necessarily equal healthier. It's the types of fats. It's really delving into what types of fats are in the milk and essential fatty acids are fatty acids that we can't make ourselves that we have to consume. And I think it's really important to know the source of where they're coming from. The best example is DHA and knowing where, you know, where your source of DHA comes from. We recommend plant-based DHA supplements if people are going to supplement with that because, you know, the fish eats the algae. That's where it's coming from the algae. Right. Yeah. It's just cheaper to get from fish. Oh. So it is more expensive to do a plant-based DHA supplement, but you will eliminate, if not significantly reduce the exposure of mercury. So that's why we recommend plant-based DHA if people are going to do that. And again, avocados, there's a lot of like essential omega olive oil. There's a lot of foods that I think can just easily be incorporated into everyday cooking and eating that will give people those essential nutrients. Antioxidants are very big too. So we recommend berries and again, understanding where your food's coming from. So farmer's markets when possible and trying to go organic if possible. I, I know these are you know more expensive options. Sometimes having foods that you're better off just skipping the food altogether, in my opinion, than trying to have something that may be covered in pesticides. And I always joke with my husband, I'm like, if you saw our garden at home, 
with our yield of probably one strawberry per year. <laughs> Let's just say I understand why people would use pesticides. I just, it's, yeah, we, uh, last year, I don't think we even had anything. I, I get it, but at the same time, I think. We have good. one tiny pepper. We have one, well, right now we got four tomatoes going. We had one strawberry. So yeah, it's looking good for the Canali household. We've got Everyone's going to be real so fed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's tough. We actually, we have a, a doctor coming on the podcast on Friday. He wrote the book, Sicker, Fatter, Poor, and it's all about these hormone disrupting chemicals. It's just scary. I know that it's like, that it's it's a privilege to be able to buy organic mm-hmm. and it's a privilege to be able to think, which do I, which kind of vegetable do I want to feed my kid? But the data on this stuff is like, is scary. And, and I think like chemicals in general is just, in his book, he's saying like everything like you have to prove it to be harmful otherwise it's it's considered fine and like the, the how long it takes to prove it's harmful so like BPA yeah we finally stopped putting BPA yeah. in plastics but all these other BPs are terrible and and, he's, and so it's like I'm like oh so this might say BPA free but everything it still has yeah it's scary to think that that there's so much going on you my daughter just turned nine. She has a friend that's fully developed. You can't help but wonder, right? What right. are we eating? I think my big pet peeve too is realizing how much our government spends. And in California, for example, on the WIC program, how much they spend per family. And that money can easily, easily be used to buy some fruits and vegetables from the farmer's market. It's, it's, it's easy to do. And I think that more and more, I think the more we talk about this, the more the word spreads about just awareness. Not everyone's going to say, and I would never be the person to be like, oh my gosh, everyone change everything immediately. Right. But I think the more we talk about it, the more we start to really look at, does it say what it's supposed to say? My, just as a side note, we were doing this lactose test in the lab and I just got so frustrated last night when I learned our lactose free milk that we were trying to test actually has lactose in it. You're allowed up to 5%. (laughs) So just as consumers, and I think that's what's going to drive the change here when it comes to food and supplement safety is awareness and demand for knowing what's in there. And if you buy, let's say a B12 supplement and it says a thousand micrograms of B12, we should believe and be proven (laughs) that's what it has. Yeah. Totally. Now I'm curious, what are some of the most common deficiencies that you see across the board with this milk you're talking One thing that's interesting that uh, that we didn't expect, iron is not surprising. Vitamin D is not surprising because those are just uniformly low across all species, whether it's goat's milk, cow's milk, human milk, they're low. That's why you see four. Right. When you buy cow's milk, you'll see fortified with vitamin A and D. Vitamin A, surprisingly, is something that we see that is often on the lower side. And I think it's because a lot of moms go, and again, no guidance, right? You just take a wild guess at this and say, I'm going to go on an elimination diet because my kid's gassy or spitting up and you're left playing the guessing game. And so what's the first thing to go? Dairy, um, soy, gluten, whatever it may be, but you're guessing at this stuff. And so with a very low consumption of dairy, or if you're not eating a lot of foods that are fortified with vitamin A or naturally rich in vitamin A, that's something that we see. 
B12 is another one that believe vegans and vegetarians do a wonderful job. We don't usually see a deficiency, but we see it in the meat eaters and the people who either have difficulty absorbing it or transferring it to the milk. So back to your question earlier, unfortunately, it's not a one-to-one. And I don't, I would love to be doing this podcast and tell you exactly what the physiology is to determine what the level would be in milk. I just don't think we understand enough about how the mammary gland works and how our bodies precisely absorb certain nutrients, process them, and then transfer them to milk. It's not a one-to-one. I wish it was because that would be certainly- Much easier to fix. (laughs) Much easier. We would just give, we would just say, okay, everybody take this or everybody do this. Why is it that if you took 100 women eating peanut during pregnancy and postpartum nursing, why is it that up to 10% of their children can have a life-threatening peanut allergy? It doesn't make sense. And, And it's because somehow those proteins are metabolized and not intact in some women's milk while they are in others. So- it, there's so much going on in this space, which is so exciting. And I'm, and I'm hoping we're going to have all these answers so that these moms do, who are nursing don't have to go down the black hole of elimination diets. And we can actually provide some concrete data and suggestions on what to do. But there's, um, you talk to any mom out there with a child with F pies or any type of digestive issue. And the mom will be like, I swear to God, every time I eat garlic or whatever, and doctors, no, it doesn't matter what you eat. And these poor moms are like, no, I swear every time I have that, it's, um, yeah. The, the point is what we eat does affect the milk. It's just knowing exactly how we're just not quite there yet. And we have a good idea for some things. So I would say that the things that I would focus on for breastfeeding moms is B12, vitamin A, which does not have to come from dairy. You can get that from lots of fruits and vegetables. Eating a diet in the most colorful plate, which I think we've all been taught that. And I think it's so true when moms are nursing. And then I would be cautious about supplements and foods. So the other thing that I see that's not deficiency. It's a lot of addition, which we'd like to see eliminated from milk is arsenic. So it's, there's a recommendation that nursing moms should eat and consume no more than one serving of rice per week, which is shocking because we have mom, you know, moms, there's in some cultures in particular, eat rice with every meal. And that recommendation has been buried. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, again, awareness, right? Like understanding that there's different types of grains that come from different types of soils. And the variety here is the key, right? So that there's, you're not eating only one thing all the time. But in fact, brown rice can be worse than white, white rice. And what we see is foods that are made or prepared. And when I say foods, I'm talking like the lactation bars and cookies and all that stuff that's made with brown rice syrup is a little concerning because it's that's a very high source of, of arsenic. We know that arsenic at low levels over time can cause cancer. It's not a not a joke. Not like again, there's no safe level of lead. There's no safe level of none of this. But it's figuring out where it could be coming from and having some ideas to how to minimize it, I think is important. So Again, I think it all falls back to the consumer being aware of it, being aware of, okay, if I take these supplements, if I'm paying $50, $60 a month, am I getting what it says it it has in there? Or am I getting things I don't want in there? And yeah. Do you have advice for for picking out supplements? Like I'm not I'm not asking for which specific ones, although feel free to share them if if not, but like, I know that like basically can like what should a consumer be looking for when they're buying their prenatal? Can they look for something like a company saying we 
have our all of our our things tested at, like externally. Like, what would a savvy consumer? How would a savvy consumer buy the right type of supplement? There's a nonprofit called Clean Label Project that I've spoken to a couple of times, and they do independent testing of brands. So they will put their label on something that's been shown to be clean. So okay. I would say, but no, actually, as a side note, I actually talked to the House subcommittee on this. So there's a Baby Safety Food Act of 2021 that came out with heavy metals and baby food. And my point was that I was trying to make was this goes beyond baby food. It starts ahead of, it starts before kids are eating baby food. Right, right. It starts during pregnancy and uh, and thereafter. And it was interesting that I, I asked for my, I would love to see a label that says heavy metal free and right. knowing that people are testing for that. The problem is that there's no standardization and it's one of those tests where you can do, there's different ways of testing and different detection limits. So you can find some things that are like really, you know, you're looking for really super high levels and you're not going to find that. So I would say looking for like a nonprofit certification, which so Clean Label Project is one. I know that they've looked at other brands as well. So they've done like a pet food thing and, but they did put their name on a couple of formulas and just recently infant food. Yeah. And there are a couple of brands. I'm happy to recommend them. Um, so one is for people who like gummies is Smarty Pants. By the way, I have no, I don't know who these come. I don't know anybody there. Okay. So there's no free advertising for them. I'm glad my kids are on are eating Smarty yep. Pants. So good, that makes me happy. Yep. And then uh, Nature One, Nature's One is another brand that's actually been really clean. And so those are the two that I usually recommend. Okay, good. Yeah, and I think it, again, it's like a lot of this. I'm and and, and I would just say as a consumer. This is the one time when the longer ingredients, the longer the ingredient list, the more worried I would be. Right. Because lead and lead in particular loves other metals. So when you see like small amounts of magnesium and copper and iodine, which yes, are essential. Our bodies don't function without them. The reality is those things you can get from food. They're in, they're in so many different sources of food. So I worry the long, those long ingredient lists that you see out there where it's eight micrograms of B12 and you're like, what is that going to do for anybody? Or a tiny bit of magnesium, a tiny bit of copper, a tiny bit of iron. That's what concerns me because those things naturally, when you go to process or make them, the raw ingredients are naturally will be attracted. That's how they pick up lead and so forth. High doses of biotin is another one that has been correlated with heavy metals too. So even though the ingredient list, you'd think, oh, the, the more things on there, the more complete my nutrition is. I think as a consumer, I would also look at how much is in there and is it really doing anything? Because unfortunately in the supplement world, not every company, by the way, but I'd say the majority of companies are just white labeling, right? So you just, it could be like, hey, Sarah, let's start a supplement company. And we just call up this, we just have someone design a label, call up this place, slap a label on it and call it whatever. That's what concerns me. I get that, man. If I'm listening, I would feel like I'm like a little stressed out about, about this because I'm like, oh my God, there's so much that I didn't know I didn't even know. Do you get that? And it's frustrating <laughs> because I think as consumers, we, there's so much we assume. And yeah. I don't want anybody listening this, to this be stressed out. I would say put the supplements on the shelf for a day or two. Yeah. But do a little bit of research and see what am, what am I taking? Who did make it? What what is this clean label project we're talking about? Why does Smarty Pants have their 
stamp of approval. Why does Yumi Baby Food have their stamp of approval? Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes for sure. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about the mastitis test strips a little bit because I think I want to make sure that they get some airtime considering they saved my ass. I truthfully, because I had never had mastitis before, I don't know if it was just like the furthest thing from my brain, but I was like, oh, I have I have these clogged ducts that just keep coming. I should use these test strips that I have. I'm just going to give them a try. And I like just – I was like, oh, I'm going to do this in my stories so that other people can see that these things exist too. And I had been feeling like crap that whole morning. And what I'm saying, it was the furthest thing like from my – like on my radar was that I had mastitis. And – I think I'm so glad that I had them and because all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I have mastitis. No wonder I, I all these things. Like, and I immediately called my lactation consultant and I immediately called you. Like it was just I, – I was able to like act on it really quickly. So I guess talk a little bit about, about who should have them and like why everyone should have them <laughs> just in case. But yeah, I'll let you. <laughs> Yeah. We, when we did this, we really want people to have this sort of like a box of band-aids, right? Like you want it, it's, it can creep up on you so quickly. And again, knowing what are you dealing with? Are you just dealing with, and so that's why we want to be able to test over time, like every couple hours when there's an acute thing going on. So when a mom just doesn't feel good, something's changed, either feeling like flu-like symptoms. And that's the crazy thing with mastitis too, is not only it can happen quickly, but a, not everybody gets the super red, painful breast where it's obviously this is what you happen, have. Some people get that, but some people just feel really crappy. And they don't have a lot of pain and, or they don't have the redness. They don't have the telltale signs. We test for an enzyme in milk that actually gets at the first sign of inflammation gets released. And so we, of course, I'm going to say recommend them to everybody, but all kidding aside, like it's something that a nursing mom, I think should have in her cabinet before she has the baby, because you're never going to know when you need this. And right. it's one of those things that you want to have an idea. And so by checking it over time and so how this product kind of came about was I, I was also on the receiving end and I've had, I have a lot of friends that are doctors, as you can imagine. And <laughs> on the receiving end is that 2am phone call where mom says she has mastitis. You're not going to have her come into the office. You're not right. going to say you know, express, do warm compress and ch call me back in an hour or two. Nope. You've got a full day of clinic tomorrow. But the reality is you're just going to say, take this and they're going to be fine. It's just, is there something else we can do? And what, I, what I'm recommending for moms who think they have it is to test immediately if they're uncomfortable, if their test is moderately to high positive, either lactation consultant, doctor, all that stuff. And our app helps read the strip and guide folks to the right people if need be. And then test again in an hour or two. And if that enzyme's on its way down, well, you know what? You can nip it in the bud and you don't need antibiotics. And you can we can watch you over time. So it's a way that... It's an extension of what we'd ideally like to do in the office, right? Ideally, we'd like to check in with the patient multiple times throughout the day. It just allows us one step where a mom can do this easily in the comfort of her own home and have an idea in what direction she's going. If the test is, of course, going the opposite direction, then we need to act quickly. But then I'm hoping that we can maybe do a three-day or in some cases, a five-day antibiotic course and not the 10 to 14. And by knowing where this enzyme lies, it, it, it just provides one more tool to help 
guide, you know, where we're going with this. And ideally, like I said, it's like a box of band-aids, right? You don't want to yep. two o'clock in the morning be like, oh shoot, I need a band. You just want to be able to have it and just our you know, back to our whole mission statement here. Take the guessing out of this. Yeah. Everyone should just add it to their registry. <laughs> like, it, truthfully, like I think about like we got like grape water and, you know, like probiotic drops and all those things like in the event that our baby was gassy and it's I, I never even opened them for our second kid because she just wasn't. And and so this is one of those things or even so ridiculous, but like the alcohol test strips mm-hmm. that you do with breast milk too. We just had that in the event that like it wasn't like I'm like, oh, I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to go out to CVS, buy this stuff, and then come home because then I, that's too late. I've like the moment's passed. And so I, I feel like that's the same thing with these test strips too. I like the box of Band-Aids analogy because that's better. But I like the alcohol analogy. It's, it, I hear you. It's it's just, again, it's just having information resources. It's, yeah. So again, you're not going out at two o'clock in the morning or trying to figure this stuff out. It's just one more thing to help guide you. Just those alcohol test strips, like just to help guide your decisions on what to do. And how could just how common is mastitis and when does it like typically strike? I wish I could say it typically strikes at X amount of time. Uh-huh. We've seen it, it actually more so it affects up to 40% of nursing moms and unfortunately recurs and often recurs with the same person. Right. So that sucks. It can happen very early on when milk is first coming. And it and again, like at least same thing in your case, right? It's, it doesn't it's not always just the first time around. And if you happen to not get mastitis with your first pregnancy, it doesn't mean you're not going to get it again. And then we also unfortunately see it a lot when people are weaning. And it's one of the big, the, the two big reasons why women stop breastfeeding is number one is they get recurrent mastitis. And number two, they think their milk isn't good enough. And we are all for breastfeeding. We're also for feed your baby, whatever you want to feed them. You're 100% supportive of whatever moms want to do and 100% non-judgmental. And as I tell everybody, if it wasn't for infant formula, my children would be dead. You have to feed your child. That's not an option. Right. But it's just about having information. And I think that we've had a lot of moms who are like, I was going to give up. I saw, oh my gosh, my milk is like ridiculously nutritious. Or it helped me and my doctor figure out maybe my kid has an absorption issue or reflux or there's something else going on because they're not gaining, but yet I'm producing this milk that's ridiculous high in calories. And the same thing, I'm getting this recurrent infection. Maybe I'm not, I'm just getting a recurrent inflammation and I can manage it this way. And I don't need all of this, all of all these antibiotics and so forth. And so that's really our mission here is to just help with what for me personally and professionally has been a grossly lacking data-driven time and a yep. very difficult time to just to just help. And if we can eliminate mommy guilt, like by, again, 1%, maybe we'll go for 2% because we're heading toward the end of the podcast. We're, we're <laughs> 2% of mommy guilt alleviation. <laughs> and it's the same thing, like when moms test their milk and they realize, oh, their milk is 13 calories per ounce and their kid's losing weight and the average formula is 20. You know what? Sometimes they need something more. Right. Nobody's fault. And the way I like to talk about this and position this, it's the same way I'd like to see us as all moms is just like you walk down the street and you don't shame someone for wearing glasses because their eyes don't work perfectly. Is the same way that if you see someone giving formula to a child, we're not going to shame them because sometimes it just doesn't work for everybody and it's nobody's fault. Yeah. Amen to that. Ultimately, Every baby needs to be fed and why anyone has an opinion on how you feed your baby, it's irrelevant. (laughs) 
Oh, I couldn't agree more. Save that. And that person's going to have an opinion on everything else, by the yes. way. They'll have an oh, opinion I on know. what preschool you choose on. on yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because I think that how you feed your baby is like the stressful thing at that point in your life. But to your point, like every decision that you make for your children from the moment they're born, people can have an opinion about. So you need to be confident with your choices because it's just the first of many, right? Like this- as I said earlier, right? This is the first of many. And like the first, if, if I've learned anything from being a mom, it's, oh my gosh, I will make mistakes. And I make mistakes every day as my children would attest to. Yep. But there's no such thing as a perfect mom. And there's no such thing as a mom who has all her shit together. I, I have yet to see it. But the point is, let's just be supportive of one another. You have to feed your kid, just like your kid has to be schooled in some way, shape or form, just like your kid has to ideally be clothed and bathed. <laughs> I don't yep. really care how you do it. Just do it. You know what I mean? Or... And again, I think if we just are just more supportive of each other and understanding that some of us are just holding on by a thread. We're just trying to get through the day. Yep. And and so that's just the point I'm trying to make is that we're all in this together. There's absolutely no shaming that goes on. And just like our tusks can help moms better their milk and so forth. Sometimes, you know what? It gives a mom a validation of being like, you know what? I need to supplement. My kid needs more. I have the data right here. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. Just like the glasses analogy. Let's not make fun of people wearing glasses. Let's not make fun of people who can't do X, Y, and Z when it comes to motherhood. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Why don't you tell people where they can find you? Lactationlab.com or Amazon. We have an Amazon store too. And yeah. And then we'll share with your listeners. We have a, a discount code for 10% off. Wonderful. And we can put that in the, I don't know, we can... We can add it to the show notes, but we we'll add it to the show notes. You can say it right now too. <laughs> Why don't we make it Sarah 10? Okay, perfect. It will be Sarah 10, all cap locks. Please. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay, that's all for today. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a mama friend and leave us a review. If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you can download the Juna app completely free for seven days. The app is available for iOS and Android and is designed to be your guide for all things health and fitness for this very special time of your life. If you have any suggestions for episodes you would like to hear or anyone you think would be a great guest on the show, please email me directly at sarah at Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.